Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss episode six of season three of Farscape. Eat me! Okay, so this is going to sound unduly negative right off the bat. Oh no, okay. And I want to clarify, I don't think this is a bad episode. Okay. But until the ending twist, I feel like this episode doesn't really do anything Farscape hasn't already done before possibly better. This is a real... I I feel like there's a lot of good horror in this episode. It's a good ghost ship zombie story. Mm. But yes, the reason I have been so excited to show you this episode is because... Do we have to spoiler for the episode we're talking about? I feel like it's such a big spoiler though. So, spoilers, now we have two Johns. And I feel like this show just becomes so much more once we have two Johns. A lesser sci-fi show would not have kept this going for as long as they're going to keep this going. And not to say Star Trek is a lesser sci-fi show. It's certainly not. But even Star Trek didn't have the nerve to keep Clone Riker. Thomas Riker. Yeah. Mm. Clone Riker around, right? Like, he existed and they were different people because he was, you know, 20 years of different timeline away from our Riker. I mean, he was the original Riker, technically, right? So. The Riker who lived on that planet for so long. Because the way Star Trek transporter technology works is basically they kill you and then a perfect, and then, like, remake a perfect clone of you wherever you need to be. Well, so now the real question is, we're outside of the time to care about spoilers for the prestige, right? Hmm. Yes, I believe so. It's been, like, what, 20 years? Yes, okay. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's like the prestige. It do- It clones you. It doesn't move you, so. Except it automatically kills the clone, unlike in the prestige. Well, I mean, the prestige automatically kills the clone. It drops it into a tank of water to die. I mean, by its nature, the trans, uh, the transporter, transporter. Yeah. Like, it kills you right off the bat, so you don't have to think about yeah, but the fact that Thomas Riker exists means that it doesn't have to kill you. I mean, it's really just a location-specific cloning machine. It's not really a teleporter. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there are there are races in Star Trek who will not allow themselves to be transported because they believe that it essentially kills you. I don't want to give him credit for stuff because he's become an awful human being and possibly always was. Apparently he didn't treat his wife very well. Uh, but Scott Adams talks about it in the Dilbert Principle or the Dilbert Future. Uh-huh. The Dilbert Future. Where he talks about how the uh, the thing about transporters is that you only need to be scared of them once because they just need to rebuild a person who values fast travel over not dying. Which I feel like does kind of explain a lot about the Star Trek universe. <laughs> eh. Because you can you can come back different from transporter stuff. I feel like there are a lot of flaws in the transporter system. Well, I mean, Rascals happens because of a problem in the transporter system. Exactly. You could end up a child again because of a transporter accident. Man, transporters are just a whole can of worms. I like in this. I like in this show, this episode of Farscape. They don't really explain it. It's just like, yeah, whatever, a wizard did it. All right. I feel like there should be more questions about how the duplication thing, but... mm. There are bigger problems. 
speaking of those bigger problems, we open in the middle of things with the transporter pod. In trouble, careening through space. Uh, apparently, Jewel had one of her standard issue flipouts and did something, and now everyone's gonna die because. I mean, they don't. Yeah. Gianna blames Jewel, but everyone else kind of is just like, look, we'll just deal with whatever's going on here. Although that makes sense because, you know, Jewel's scream melts metal and they're going to find two metal pieces, a coil and a thingy that need to be replaced because they've melted on the transport pod. Oh, I thought uh, Gianna said that Jewel grabbed the controls. She does say that Jewel grabbed the controls, but I think that she grabbed the controls after they started losing control. Uh, so yeah, the- Why would you bring Jewel with you? It's weird that they don't tell us what they were doing. The people in the pod, it's Chiana, Dargo, Jewel, and John. And we don't know what they were doing when they got on the pod, but like, presumably they had something to do that required Jewel. Maybe they were going to drop her in space. I don't know. So Jewel's with the crew for a while, right? Yeah, a bit. I'm legitimately kind of surprised that they didn't just find, like, a planet that doesn't have a ton of stuff going on and just drop her off there. Because, I mean, there's no real reason to keep her around with the crew. Right, she doesn't want something the way that the rest of them all want something that makes them stay together. And she's not on the run from anyone, which was one of the big reasons that, like, they didn't just all live on farm planet at the beginning. Honestly, the uh, the planet that they're going to visit next episode, they, they could just leave Jewel there. It'd be fine. She'd, she'd probably do well on that planet. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't like Jewel. I find Jewel intensely irritating. But I do feel bad for her. and Because I'm 100% sure that in her situation, I would, I like to think I would be less of a burden than her. But I would also be freaking out all the time. Yeah, I was, we have company staying with us, so they ended up watching this episode with us not being Farscape Watchers, and I was explaining Jewel, and I'm like, she was essentially on, like, a pleasure cruise, and then got sick, put in stasis, and woke up a few years later in the middle of a prison ship with people around her dying, her cousins killed. Like, this is this is essentially, for Jewel, the opening of 28 Days Later. This is a UCLA uh, sorority girl who went on a, you know, cruise for spring break, blacked out, and then woke up in a Hellraiser movie. Yeah, I mean, from if this was from Jewel's point of view, we would totally be on her side, but eh, since... I don't know, there's a lot of horror movies where I find the main characters intensely irritating. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. But specifically, the planet they're going to go on next episode... The, the episode next week is about a planet that has, like, its own very intense political drama, and honestly, it's a great metaphor for... When you are very online and then you're explaining, like, obscure YouTuber drama to somebody who's not very online. Yeah. But I feel like Jewel would do well in that kind of environment. Like, that's what she was built for. See, as I said a bit ago, I don't like Jewel. I haven't liked Jewel since she was introduced. I find her very, very irritating. But I am feeling bad for her. Which I guess is a good piece of writing. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Our friends who were staying with us are, were very down on Jewel. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they only had this this limited snapshot of her. And she doesn't, 
She doesn't get a lot to do in this episode other than be annoying. But I mean, that's kind of true for her in every episode. Yeah, I guess. I don't think she's poorly written, though. I think she's well written. She's just very annoying. She's be she's being written well as an annoying character. There's a character coming up who is really going to replace Jules' position on the ship, and I like her so much better. So, I, I we'll get to her. Obviously, we'll get to her in a bit. But yeah, Jules is like the the trial version of the character we have coming up. So. They're looking for Moya, who has disappeared, and then they kind of turn a space corner, and they think they see Moya for a hot second, but then they realize it's a different Leviathan. Womp, womp, womp. Yes. A Leviathan that's wearing a control Control collar, which means that it's under peacekeeper control. Womp, womp, womp. Dargo's like, we cannot land there. It is controlled by peacekeepers. And John's like, our other option is death. And Dargo's like, then death, John. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They've got a pretty good track record when it comes to outsmarting slash getting around peacekeepers. That I mean, that's true. I respect Dargo's, like, I'd rather die than be taken by the peacekeepers. But I also respect John's, no peacekeeper has managed to hold me yet, so. Yeah. I was going to say they, I mean, I did say that they have a better track record with peacekeepers than with death. But, I mean, barely. They've done pretty well escaping death, Xan aside, I guess. Yeah. Like, they've even died a few times and come back from it. Xan aside, again. It was, Xan, I feel like even herself has come very close to death and come back before, you know. Dying. Dying. So they land on the Leviathan, they exit, and it's all, like, creepy and atmospheric. And the camera does this thing, this whole episode that we've seen before where it's kind of, like, rocking back and forth Mm -hmm. there's no diegetic reason for this to be happening but it creates a real we are on a ghost ship feel because it just it it definitely feels like that bit in the pirates of the caribbean ride before you turn the corner when Mm -hmm. you're like seeing all of the skeletons and stuff so they are wandering around the maintenance bay looking for peacekeepers who do not appear but then some sort of like feral person attacks them and Chiana shoots it. Yeah, it's it's not looking like this is a fun place, but... This is not a good place. To be fair to John, he was right about them not having to worry about peacekeepers. Mm-hmm. Although, I guess if they had peacekeepers on the ship, he could have just, you know, turned the heat up a little bit and they all would have passed out, so... <laughs> they don't do that enough. That seems like it would be the thing to do. Yeah. So they figure out what they need. They need a certain kind of coil and they need a certain kind of like transponder. So since they are on a Leviathan, that means there's going to be Leviathan parts on board. So John and Dargo are going to go find the parts while Jewel and Chiana stay behind with the transport pod. And Chiana's like, um, I'm going with you guys. I'm not staying with Jewel. And they're like, well, someone needs to keep an eye on Jewel. We really, we can't leave Jewel alone. Like. Why is she here? I mean, I know she had to be necessary for whatever they were doing, I'm assuming. But really, it feels like there's not a good reason not to just leave Jewel and Moya all the time. So, like, I am expanding on things that we have literally no information about. But she does have a lot of education and knowledge. And she is from this sector of space. So there was probably something they were going out to investigate that she had specific knowledge of and made sense to bring her. 
Well, that is true. I honest to God cannot imagine a scenario where the benefits of uh, bringing her would outweigh the negatives of bringing her. I mean, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> so Dargo goes to one of the doors and he can't get it open. He's like, hey, John, come help me open this door. And John's like, what if the pilot is holding that door closed because there are a bunch of zombies behind it? And just as he says that, the door, like, swings open. And John and Dargo go through, and then the door slams shut. This is a serious haunted house story. This is, like, the revolving bookcase. Why did the pilot do that? The pilot did not do that. Um, We will learn later that the... Guy. The guy, the creepy wizard guy, has the ability to control Moya... Not Moya, this Leviathan, has the ability to control this Leviathan system, so he did it specifically to separate them from... Moyo. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) He did it to separate them from uh, Chiana and Jewel. And in fact, as soon as the door slams shut, Dargo starts calling for Chiana, because even though they broke up because she had sex with his son, he still loves her and wants her to be safe. So... I find this touching. Yeah. Do you have no heart? I dislike Dargo less than I used to. Uh-huh. I still have almost zero interest in his relationships with Chiana or anyone else. All right. Honestly, I would have preferred it if he had been replaced with Chauncey. Joffy. Joffy, his son. Yes. Yeah. Like, I hate him less than I used to, but I don't care about Dargo. All right. Yeah, character development or whatever, but... So, everyone in this episode, spoilers, everyone in this episode gets doubled except Jewel. I wonder why... No one wants two Jewels. I mean... One one Jewel is more than enough, even for this wizard guy who's, who's duplicating people. I mean, you could just... I, I guess you could just eat a, the one it would... You don't have to do that thing where you duplicate them and then keep one alive, but eat the other one. Like, you could just, you could just eat her. Or you could just eat both of them. You could duplicate her and then eat both of them. You're just sad that Joel didn't die in this episode. Honestly, no, because as much as I hate Joel, I don't hate her in the way that makes enjoyable when bad stuff happens to her. Right, because she's not a bad person. She's just getting in the way all the time. She's just... She's just the human embodiment of you make a better wall than a window. Yeah, it's it's weird because I'll, I'll admit it, last episode I thought it was really funny when Darko like just threw her really hard into that wall because he was trying to find the... Uh, the, the time por- hole? Yeah. Like, I thought that was funny, but over the course of the episode I was like, you know what, it's it's not enjoyable when bad stuff happens to her. I I don't want bad things to happen to her, I just don't want her to be on the show. That's fair. That's fair. So as... John and Dargo are walking down the hallway. John compares them to, like, Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. And that is not what this is, John. This is not a lighthearted satire. This is a fucking monster movie. But I appreciate that he's like, maybe if I make it Abbott and Costello meet the meet the thing from the Black Lagoon, it will be less scary than this very scary thing. So it's... Kind of underplayed all episode, but John has been losing it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And he's still very much in the throes of not, Osis. not being a very stable person. I'm trying to think of a 
diplomatic way to phrase this. Yeah, well, I mean, specifically because uh, he's still got Harvey in his head. And in addition to everything he's gone through, he does still... And as much as he's trying to tell us that he has the the ghost of the chip under control, he really doesn't. Okay, because I wasn't thinking it was that. I was just thinking it was everything he's been through. Because, I mean, honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter that he has the ghost of Harvey in his head or whatever. He's been through so much stuff. And I appreciate that the show has continuity. Uh, Not just, like, you know, referencing stuff, but the fact that all of the horrible things John has been through are all weighing on him. There's a uh, cumulative effect. Like... Zan died really recently, and last episode he in, you know, inadvertently, but he caused a genocide last episode. Like, even without Harvey, John is barely hanging on. Yeah, John is, John is having a breakdown, and it's, spoilers, gonna get worse before it gets better. Like, John is not in a good mental place. I... I'm going to try to find and link to an article that I saw recently talking about Farscape and how Farscape is such a good exploration of a show of PTSD. And it's and it's the way that this show actually kind of takes trauma seriously in a way that is more common now, but definitely not in, you know, 2000 to see on, on TV, especially not like the puppet sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. So they go through a tunnel to uh, to where Dargo knows that the coils they need are. And John realizes that the smell in this tunnel is really bad and that the ship is sick. The ship is dying. The ship is rotting. Yeah. Which is a grim thing to think about, but obviously must happen, right? If Leviathans are living ships, then those ships can become ill and those ships can die. Mm. So John wants to go find Pilot. He wants to find out what's happening. This ship's specific Pilot. Right. Who they do just call Pilot because all Pilots are called Pilot. Mm -hmm. But John wants to find this Pilot because, you know, lights are on, air is on. That means that there is a pilot still alive controlling this ship and maybe he can tell them what's going on. And Dargo just wants to find what they need and get out. Like, Dargo. This is not their business, John. Like, I know you want to be helpful Captain America hero guy, but like... This isn't the place for that. This isn't the genre for that. This is just none of, and you'd think, maybe he needs a win after last episode, but you'd think after last episode he'd learn about not butting your head into things, you know, not sticking your hands where they don't belong. Yeah. Like, that was a collection of mixed metaphors, but. Yeah. Like, seriously, John, you need to stop messing with stuff that does not concern you. It almost always goes poorly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Over at the transport pod, Chiana finds another piece of the ship that's broken that they didn't realize before because Jules' scream is just very destructive. And so she's going to go look for this piece, a replacement for this piece. And she tells Jules to stay with the ship just to take a pulse rifle and protect herself. And Jules says that she doesn't know how to use a pulse rifle and on their planet they don't have violence. And Chiana like smacks her around until she finally hits Chiana back. 
And Tiana's like, see, you're learning to use violence. And this was meant to be a funny moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Does not read as funny to me. Just very grim. Okay, there's a moment I really like, even though the optics of it are pretty terrible, in sort of a run-up to the Dark Phoenix saga. It was part of the post-Gene Becoming Phoenix pre-The Dark Phoenix saga. Uh-huh. Where the X-Men all get captured by uh, Mesmero. Okay. And he makes them all think that they're members of his circus, the circus that he's running. Okay. And uh, Wolverine is the one person who kind of snaps out of it because he just reverts him to a feral state, but that's a thing Wolverine deals with all the time, so he he snaps out of it. Uh-huh. And uh, he goes and he finds Jean, who thinks she's like this acrobat, you know, hoity-toity high performer. And uh, he tries to snap her out of it, and she's just not listening to him. And he uh, he hits her, because he's like, okay, Jean's had years of combat training. I need to kind of get her to this place where she feels the need to defend herself. So he slaps her a few times, and as he's about to slap her again, she, you know, instinctively just telekinetically throws him through a wall. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, right. Sorry about that. And he's like, no, no, it's good. You've... I went to you because you got the telepathy. Now let's get everyone else. And it's a really, it's a cool moment for her because mm-hmm. it's this very... Rediscovering her strength, essentially. Yeah, because she's very helpless and he's like kind of trying to force her out of this headspace. Uh-huh. But it's also just a guy who's hitting around and who's slapping around a woman. Well, so this is very similar to what you talked about last week. Like, it was kind of funny when Dargo threw Jewel into the wall, but then it just kept going. And I, it's like we're past, we're past the point where doing physical damage to Jewel is funny. Just Well, the thing that made me think about that scene is that it's sort of a different energy because, you know, in that scene... Jean Grey is a woman who has had years of combat training. She's a woman who is very, very capable of defending herself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a different situation when he's trying to break her out of brainwashing by hitting her than Chiana trying to get Jewel to defend herself. Because on its face, they're very similar scenes. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they kind of work really differently when you look at what's kind of going on underneath that. Because Jules not going to become better at defending herself by getting slapped around by Chiana. Well, so since we talked about John and how this show is showing his breakdown in response to trauma, that's an interesting thing to think about because... Chiana's response to violence and trauma in her past has been to become, you know, a fighter, somebody, a brawler, you know, a a feisty kick, kiss, kill woman, right? And so, of course, she assumes that Jewel will be the same. When pushed into a corner, Jewel will become a fighter and a, a scrapper. That's that's the word I wanted, a scrapper. Um, I thought you were going to bring up uh, the Superman analog in Hench Girl. I was not, but uh, what I what I was going to say is, when pushed into a corner, Jewel will break down, and that's what we see in this episode. Mm. What, what were you going to... Oh, I thought you were going to talk about, um, in Hench Girl, remember the Superman analog? I don't. Okay, so, uh, Hench Girls, it's fine. I, we've read it for 
at book club. I I like the premise, but I feel like they didn't really do anything groundbreaking with it. Uh-huh. But there's a Superman analog early on who's like one of the like top tier heroes of this universe. And uh pretty early on in the book, the Lois Lane analog gets killed. Mm-hmm. And uh instead of, you know, going over the edge and becoming evil or, you know, blah, 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 whatever. The things that normally happen when Lois Lane gets killed to Superman. Whenever we see the guy for the rest of the book, he's just, like, he's traumatized. Like, he's not a superhero anymore. He's just been so broken by losing his girlfriend that he can't function. Yeah, for him, Fridging a Woman didn't, uh... Yeah, it it didn't inspire him. him it didn't you know push him to whatever it just broke him narrative doesn't accurately reflect reflect real life because you might go on a roaring you know rampage of revenge if something bad happened to someone but more likely you'd just be really 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 sad for the rest of your life wow farscape so we see the guy that we've been calling like the wizard guy carvok Finally, he is... Uh, like carnivore. Oh, yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah, Karvok is... He has, like, a, a gauntlet that he's using to operate this Leviathan. And we see that he's the one who caused the door to open for Chiana. He's essentially hurting them. Yeah, he's trying to get everyone in one place for, we can only assume, nefarious reasons. Well, but he's also trying to separate them from each other. So... In the supply closet, or not the supply closet, but, like, the the supply bay, I don't know, whatever. Whatever it is that Leviathans have, Dargo is looking for the coils that they need, and he sees a piece and, like, tosses it aside contemptuous because it's not the piece he's looking for, and the camera lands on it so that we can see it is the piece Chiana's looking for. Wah-wah. I think it's a nice little bit there. And John separately is in the pilot's den where there are a bunch of zombie sebations on top of the pilot ripping off his arms and john like shoes them away and then he goes to talk to the pilot who is also traumatized this pilot is past breakdown point he has broken down he's very very insistent that john kills him because you know He's been basically been eaten by zombies down to his nubs, and then they just wait for his limbs to regrow, and then they eat them again. Which, I know it's not, but it feels like kind of a response to all of those times we suggested they just eat Pilot's arms. We suggested? You suggested. I suggested. But I mean, Zan was going to kill everyone in Moya anyway. It's not like he couldn't temporarily give up one of his arms. It would have been a very different situation if he had agreed to it and had temporarily given up a single arm. Yes. But, uh... Zan was killing everyone, including him. I mean, it's... But yes, you're right. This this episode is definitely a rebuttal to the complaint that you were making 20 years after it was made. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't the only one making that complaint. But yes, this pilot is very upset that people are eating his arms over and over and over again. Yes, I mean, it's... It's... It's puppet torture porn. Hmm. Yeah. So, we're... On Chiana's part of the ship, she comes across, you know, more more sebation zombies, and she that she sees them actually eating the pilot's arms, and they are very they are done very zombie like. Like they look at her, and they've got like these 
big frightening grins and they start moving on her and uh she shoots one of them and is like eat her you know like yeah (laughs) which fair i guess yeah yeah now the thing with cutting off this pilot's arms and eating them i actually felt like this was meant to call back to dna mad scientist about how that crew ripped off pilot's arms and his or his arm his single arm mm-hmm. and his response to that like we the audience were horrified but pilot was like ugh i'm a pilot what are you going to do but this pilot has been completely you know broken by that rightly so but it seems kind of like the way horror movies tend to take real world horrors and amplify them for effect that's what this has done. Like this is what this is what happens to pilots, but it's been amplified for effect. I thought you were going in a different direction with that. The difference between getting injured. I was gonna say taking damage, but the difference between getting injured in a horror movie versus getting injured in an action movie. Oh, see that's interesting too. Cause John McClane gets his feet cut and it makes him a bigger badass for the rest of the movie. Someone in, like, House of Wax gets their feet cut. It is a horrible thing that will negatively affect them until they are inevitably killed. Yeah, yeah. And it will make it easier for them to be inevitably killed. Mm-hmm. So, Chiana is still shooting at the zombie sebations and she's screaming for Dargo and John, and Dargo starts screaming for her and John starts screaming it for Dargo. There's a lot in this episode of... Running and screaming and shooting. Yes. Running down the halls of this Leviathan alone, screaming out the names of your compatriots. It's going to happen a lot. Mm. And Dargo encounters Karvok in person. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. He he pulls out his Qualtha blade and he's like, where is Chiana the Nabari? I just pin pin that the first thing he says to Karvok is where is Chiana the Nabari and Karvok shoots some sort of like prisoner style bubble around him uh, right to the prisoner right to the prisoner it it looks very prisonery I know what he says later about how it it twins you but like one of them had to come first right it doesn't like cut you in half and then grow each half into a zone person like okay so we just called it a prisoner bubble but i think it's actually supposed to look more like a a giant cell a a giant like cell casing because when we watch it when we watch it happen to chiana it it splits the way the way a cell like splits through mitosis Hmm. so i think another chiana like chiana is doubled through mitosis and just like through my Science isn't my thing. I hope I'm using the right word. But, like, through the mitosis of the cell, they are not... One is not the original. Wouldn't one be the original, though? If, like... If it splits off into a different thing, then that one would be the second one. No, no. In in actual biology, they they split into two identical twins. Like, it's... it. So it is basically like they cut them in half and then each half grows into a full... Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, And, yeah, basically... To, to spoil what, what, what is happening in, in this show, which... Yes. I mean, either you've watched it already or you're not going to watch it, one or the other. Yeah, true. So, things aren't going super great for Chiana. I guess pulse pistols only have so many pulses in them. Uh, yeah, they have they have to swap out their batteries after a while. Like, uh... 
like one an electric would, drill. One would think you would carry as many batteries as you could for this sort of thing, but... Yeah. So, we see... So, Chiana and John find each other, and they come across Dargo, and Carvon is pulling out some sort of juice from Dargo's brain, and then he injects it into his own brain... I, I like the way they take the vampire thing, but instead of blood giving him youth and life, it's brain juice giving him, like, functionality. Sanity. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of stopped reading Sluggy Freelance a while ago. Okay, I stopped reading Sluggy Freelance literally decades ago, but continue. Wait, it's still going, right? Yeah, I believe so. That is mind-blowing. But apparently they, at some point, they introduced zombies into it. Okay. And the thing with zombies is that they eat brains to uh, increase their intelligence because as a zombie, your uh, brain is just constantly rotting and you're constantly, you know, losing intelligence, but you can recover it by eating other people's brains. Well, that's also what the deal is with the zombies in warm bodies. Yeah. And slightly in iZombie. Yeah. Well, yes, in iZombie... No, no, definitely an iZombie, except that in iZombie, it's like you keep eating brains and it keeps you from becoming a mindless zombie. And if you ever don't eat enough, you go mindless zombie and there's no coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely a zombie trope. Although of all of the examples we've given, I think this is the earliest one. Probably. I, I don't know. Sluggy Freelance has been going for a really long time. Uh, I'm pretty sure the zombies in Sluggy Freelance happened after Farscape, because I remember people in college watching Farscape and me not getting into it yet. Foolishly! Uh, but you were still reading Sluggy Freelance at that point. Exactly. So, John and Chiana see Dargo dead, and we've- Dun, dun, dun. We've spoiled what's happened. I'm sorry, I think I've over-undun-dunned this episode. I think this is your first undun-dun. You sure? I'm pretty sure I've done it before this episode. You've done 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 it before? Anyway, Dargo's dead. Bye, Dargo! And we're spoiling, we're spoiling the whole, like, Carlock twinning people, etc, etc. But when we were watching this episode, you did not know yet that that was what was happening. And I told you, Max, that is the real Dargo. That is actually Dargo. He is actually dead. This is not a trick, which is true. Yep. Wah, wah. Yeah, although that wasn't your response at the time. Your response at the time was, all right, so what? Time loop, clone, <laughs> Dargo the White. You, you were not fooled for even a split second that Dargo would not be back. We just lost a major character. Also, I know later he's the bad guy in the cartoon episode. And that's not entirely accurate, but yes, he is in the cartoon episode, but... The whole cartoon episode is one of John's hallucinations, so... Theoretically, he could be dead, I guess. Yeah, anybody could show up in the cartoon episode. It's... Yeah. Like... Zan could have shown up. Didn't have to put Virginia Hayes in the makeup for that. Well, I mean, in the cartoon episode, he's talking to Aaron, and at the time, he and Aaron are not together. Like, they're not physically in the same space. So, yeah. yeah. So, we finally see what's going on over on Moya, by the way. And what's going on over at Moya is that Moya has starburst away because she heard a distress call from Talon. Her 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 child baby. ship. Yeah. Her baby with the giant death guns. Yeah. Toddler toddler with a toddler with a cannon. And okay. 
They give Claudia Black very little to do in this episode because most of the stuff that's happening is happening on the other Leviathan. But her the look on her face when she sees Talon, like, the mixed look of fear and joy and, like, she she looks at Talon like, like a mother reunited with a child. Like, she's... She is Talon's... Well, honestly, you know, Moya... Aunt. Well, Moya is Talon's mother, but in some ways I feel like Aaron is Talon's father. So that's a pretty solid, uh, yeah. So things are not going well on Talon. He's been pretty roughed up. Yeah, Talon is totally roughed up, and Crace is not responding. And then we see Crace, and he is in a bad way. He is unconscious. Things are not good. And Stark's like, oh no, not Crace. And Rigel's like... Rigel's like, is he dead? And Aaron's like, he's not quite dead. And Rigel's like, how about if we pull out that thing that lets him control Talon and see what happens? And what happens is Talon starts shutting down and Aaron's like, don't do that! I... You know what? I... I know morals and stuff, but really it feels like they should have shoved both Rigel and, uh... Jewel out of, like, an airlock, or, to be nicer, left them on some inhabited planet. So, that's really interesting, because I'm kind of going the opposite here. Um, Rigel is wrong. We, you can't just abandon Talon. Talon is Moya's son. Like, you, you, that's not happening. That is off the table. But his point, that Talon is the most fearsome gunship anyone has ever seen, whatever messed him up is going to be trouble, mm. is not inaccurate. Yeah. I think more he was just kind of trying to kill Crace there, though. Yeah, yeah. So back on the other Leviathan, John and Chiana are dragging Dargo's body with them because Chiana is insistent that they need to take it with them to give Dargo the proper death rites. But not the proper death rites that involve having sex with him, I'm assuming. Nope, nope, different death rites. I, I actually assume that what we see happen later in this pilot's den are what the proper death rites are for for a Luxon who died in battle. So it turns out that, you know, in the absence of other meat, the uh, the creatures, the, the zombies, zombies are just eating the ship, which is a really cool concept. Yeah, it's interesting to think that you could do that. I mean, it's a bioship. Why couldn't you? Ex- I mean, obviously, except it's torturous to be ship. literally eating a thing from the inside. It's... Like, the crew of Moya are are symbiotic with Moya, right? They live because she lives, and they take care of her. These... They're like those little cleaner birds. Yeah, exactly. On this ship, the ship itself is sick, and these zombies inside the ship are, are like a virus inside of it, eating away at it. So, Jewel is not having a good time here. She's talking about how her parents told her that she was the most special girl in the universe and that she can do anything that she puts her mind to. And she's like, so I don't have to worry about getting eaten by zombies because I'm the most special girl in the universe and that would never happen to me. Yeah, well, she's like, my parents said I could do anything, so surely I can use a gun. Okay, which is a weird random thing with Jewel here. Uh, Her hair changes color depending on her mood. She has color-changing hair. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be changing color in this scene from the kind of washed-out orange that it normally is to the bright red that it is when she's upset and in a rage. 
But I don't think, like... Shouldn't it be, like, black because she's scared or doomed or whatever? I don't think her hair actually is changing color. I think it's the lighting on the ship that's making it appear to change color. And I don't know if that's a metaphor for, like, what the ship is doing to to Jewel. The idea that, like, the ship itself is inflicting this kind of emotional trauma on Jewel that the rest of the crew have already gone through. Or if it's just an accident of the way the DP decided to light this episode. Mm. But I'm going to go with on purpose because it's it's cooler if it's on purpose. Yeah. Also, you know, death of the author, whatever. Yeah, zombies are coming for Jewel. Her little speech did not stop zombies from coming for her. And she does the kind of Jamie Lee Curtis and True lies run with the gun. Yeah, well, I mean, she's got massive heels on. She runs with the gun back to the transport and kind of just curls up next to the transport holding the gun up. That's, that's, that is where she will be for the rest of the episode. I mean, theoretically, couldn't you just close yourself in the transport? It's not like they're going to be able to get in. They're not, like, smart. Yeah, I guess theoretically she could. I don't know why she didn't. Anyway, John goes to talk to the pilot. And some more, and the pilot's like, kill me, some more. Although, the pilot is also really upset, and nice nice continuity. The pilot is speaking in a way that is unintelligible to John, because translator microbes can't really pick up pilot speech unless they talk very slowly and deliberately, because their speech contains so much information in it. I do like that earlier in the episode, John points out that there aren't any DRDs in this ship. Mm, yeah. Be- I mean, because the, the ship itself is, you know. Dying. Dying. He tells John, the pilot tells John that they were a prison transport ship. They were a peacekeeper transport ship. And that they were transporting a criminally insane. Don't love that. Ugh. But basically, they were transporting a super dangerous criminal. Carvok is really set up to be like a Hannibal Lecter guy here. Yeah, they needed a whole prison transpo for one dude. Right? He tells John that Carvok was the only prisoner on the ship. So all of these other zombies running around, they were once the peacekeepers who were supposed to be guarding him. So I guess there were only three prisoners on Moya, though. Yep, that's true. How big are Leviathans supposed to be exactly? Okay, we've well, had... I know we've had this discussion and we were assuming they were city-sized, but I guess not. So I kept saying that they were city-sized, but um, somebody somebody corrected us that that's not the case. And then I couldn't find the reference that, you know, had stuck in my head about them being city-sized. And um, then I tried to find online how big Leviathans are and there was no really clear definitive answer to that question so um we are, absolutely don't know how big leviathans are but way they are supposed to be big ships though right oh yeah they there's definitely room for way more than three prisoners but yeah i think of course there was supposed to be like a whole crew on moya and there weren't so well and don't don't forget that moya was part of a secret experiment to get ships pregnant in addition to being a uh that's true you probably wouldn't want extra people on there yeah while john is having this conversation with pilot chiana is doing the last rites over dargo and she has some sort of like combustible powder that she pours on him so he lights on fire which she says she's grateful for because it means the zombies won't be able to eat him it's and then you know john holds her and it's a it's a nice, quiet moment. That probably could have bought you some time, though, I mean. 
Yeah, but at the cost of their own humanity. I think we might be a little past that point. Uh, or uh, whatever Chiana is. What is she? She's Nabari. A, her own Nabaranity. Nabarity. But yeah, all of the zombies used to be peacekeepers until something, 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 something. John explains to Chiana. So Carvox starts to vent the the chamber that they're in, specifically to drive John and Chiana to where he is. And he's like, don't talk about me behind my back. He he backhands John and then he chases down Chiana, who's having a real horror movie uh, running moment. Yeah, she's... She's part cat. Shouldn't she have super speed? She, okay, she's not part cat. She just moves with a cat-like grace. Also, and, she has that super jump she doesn't seem to use. Because he backs her into a corner. I'm like, couldn't he just... Couldn't she jump over him? And go where? She's like in a little hallway. She's trapped. Well, she wouldn't be directly surrounded by him if she jumped over him. Like... I mean, the name of the game is not getting bubbled. Yeah, he shoots her with the bubble gun, and she pops into two Chianas. And yeah, we... I guess it kind of melts you into goo, and then it splits into two balls of goo, and then the balls of goo poop out two different versions of you. Yeah, and uh, the two Chianas, they respond with the same kind of head shake. They look at each other, and they scream the same. He grabs one of them and starts to suck out her brain matter, and that one looks at the other Chiana and is like, help me! And this Chiana looks at her and then chooses to run away instead. Which is a totally legit choice, but will completely haunt Chiana for a while. I would imagine so. This is... It was kind of underplayed in the Clone John episode we got before, where he was like a caveman and a future guy. But you'd have to imagine seeing yourself die would really mess you up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually kind of part of the Jamie Madrox series that came out a few years ago, where it's like, it actually does mess you up. He's he's the multiple man. He He's the X-Man whose power is being able to create duplicate uh, duplicates of himself. But his series did kind of point out, he's like, I've seen myself die a lot, and that kind of messes with you. Yeah, I can imagine it would. So... John sees Chiana running, you know, the Chiana who survived, and he's trying to get to her, and of course one of the doors closes so that now she's cut off again, and she hides behind some some pallets in a maintenance bay, storage bay, whatever. Pallet storage. Pallet storage. And she is talking to herself, and she's saying what she what you would need to say in this situation, which is, I am obviously the real one. That means the other one was obviously a clone. It's okay that I let the clone die. She wasn't real. I'm real. Ooh, enough time hasn't really passed for uh, Modoc spoilers, has it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's got to be like a year. Okay, but has it not been a year since Modoc? I don't know. Maybe it's been a year. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but Modoc does actually uh, deal with this. The TV show Modoc, which is way better than it has any right to be. I think Modoc is very similar to Lower Decks in that it's shot in the style of Robot Chicken. So people are like, oh, it's just like Robot Chicken, but it's not. It actually has depth to it. And Lower Decks is like, oh, it's Rick and Morty, but it's not. It's amazing. Yeah, the animation style is a little similar to Rick and Morty, but that's kind of by necessity they need to have a simple style. Or, you know, that's just 
That's, that's just the style. It, that's the style of the time. I mean, the old Star Trek series looked like, you know, every other cartoon that came out at the time, because that's how cartoons were. Well, the guy who's showrunning Lower Decks was a writer on Rick and Morty. Uh. And so they were really pushing Lower Decks when it first came out as from a writer of Rick and Morty. So I Ooh. feel like a bunch of people were like, I don't want to see Dan Harmon's Star Trek, which is totally no, nobody fair. Nobody wants to see Dan Harmon's Star Trek. But it's not Dan Harmon's Star Trek. It's just a guy who happened to come up through the Rick and Morty writer's room. Let's, let's not hold that against him. Lower Decks has been renewed, right? You know, I, I mean, season two is going now. I don't know if it's been renewed for a third season. Oh, God, I hope so. It's so good. It's so, like, oh. Yeah, it's really good Star Trek. And I know we talk about this so much on this show, but it keeps it, it keeps the optimism that Star Trek should have. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. If you want a show that's not optimistic, we've got Farscape for you. <sighs> so, yeah, Chiana's horribly traumatized because she just saw herself die. Meanwhile, John is talking to Pilot still. Huh, that's weird. I thought he got vented out or whatever. No, no, no. The, um... Carvac just opened the thing enough to drive them out of the chamber and then closed it back up. Like, he's literally herding them around the ship. So, Carvac goes to... Now that now that the audience has been let in on the fact that the Bubble Twins people, we see his Dargo, and... You know what? This whole thing could have been cut, and I've been happy with it. But, yeah, Dargo is all chained up. Chained up specifically the same way that the Peacekeepers chained him. Specifically chained by the same little rings that the peacekeepers pierced into his collarbone to chain him up. Mm. It's like, hey, John, this is exactly what Targo didn't want to happen. This whole thing is... Okay, so the guy's like, hey, Dargo, uh, I need you to make some babies for me. And Dargo's like, what? And then the whole thing is weirdly played for laughs that he's going to have one of the less mentally deteriorated. I guess we can talk about this now. Uh, it turns out that the bubbling process, after a certain point, deteriorates the mind of the people being bubbled. Yeah, you yeah. become like uh, you become like that clone of a clone in the Michael Keaton movie Multiplicity. Yeah, so not the first or second time, but a while down the line, you basically become a zombie. And so, uh, uh, so if Cavalek's going to keep this going, he needs to. Uh, replenish his supply of people to double so he needs dargo to uh mate with one of the yeah it turns out whatever the hell dargo is the luxon yeah it turns out that luxons are super tasty so he's just gonna have dargo impregnate a bunch of or at least one of the uh one of the peacekeepers who's not entirely yeah a zombie and then he's gonna have like a a farm yeah like the master in buffy the vampire slayer yep you mean like in the wish verse when he yeah had the... yeah yeah except he wasn't like breeding people for that he was just he might okay i mean he was just grabbing people for it i presumably oh. further down the line when all of humanity was you know basically livestock he would have breeding pens but at that point that was that was far off in the future so a couple of things important in this scene it's Uh, weirdly played for comedy yeah that's not okay uh but he does tell dargo that the process twins you it doesn't clone you it twins you 
that you are both equally you. That is important. He also has his creepy line where he talks about how the the peacekeeper zombies are both food and family. Ugh. It's like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family and food. When you're here, you're food. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I've never been to the Olive Garden, but uh, I am given to understand that, you know, it's people. The Olive Garden is people. Uh, the final thing here is that when Dargo first sees uh, Carlock, his first thing he says is, where's Chiana the Nabari? Which is the first thing the other Dargo said. So, yeah. you know, we know that they are, in fact, twinned. Twins. Twins. Anyway, Chiana, still freaking out, does a thing that is amazing in its subtle nod to continuity without hitting you over the face with it. She lifts up the bottom of her shirt and checks for the scar that she has from the tracker she had with her brother. Mm. Like, they don't say that's what she's doing, but that's what she's... I, I love when shows don't hold your hand. Okay, so... I know this is, but in the Spider-Man clone saga, Mm -hmm. it bothered me retroactively that they didn't just check to see if Ben Riley had, like, scars or if he was, like, circumcised. Mm -hmm. Because if he was a clone, which he was, it's not like Miles Warren had access to, like, all of the scars on Peter Parker's body. Like, it's not like he knew whether or not the dude was circumcised. Yeah, a couple of months ago, I read this book called The Echo Wife, and I had some issues with the book, but it involves clones, and one of the things you do as part of the cloning process, like, you know, you, you make the person and then you accelerate their growth, and then there's, like, a whole process of weathering mm-hmm. where you go through and you recreate all of the scars that the original person had on their body. And there's, like, a whole discussion of, like, figuring out, you know, like, this guy's got, like, a road rash scar, and so they're, like, trying to figure out the best way to recreate the road rash scar and stuff like that. Mm. So. I know that you're saying that they didn't do that with Ben Riley. Just saying they could have. I mean, I guess it's possible Miles Warren did, but it seems like it would have, uh, Honestly, I, I don't feel like Miles Ward had the follow-through for that sort of thing. That's fair. That's fair. Now, Chiana is in the same maintenance bay that Dargo was in at the beginning of the episode, and she finds the piece that he tossed aside, which is great. And and she goes into a little bit of hysterics when she's like, oh my god, it's the piece! And then she's like, she's got the two pieces, and she thinks about how there were two Chianas, and... She's She's like, nope, can't think about this now. (laughs) Yep, yep. So, back in Pilot's den, John is trying to figure out how it is that Carvac has control of Pilot, and he's trying to, you know, take control back. So he's down down in Pilot's guts, and Pilot is like, this is really painful, you know. This is, like, not good. And also- Also, kill me? Kill me? Can you kill me? I want to die. Kill me. But also, additionally, additionally, I only have one arm because they keep eating my arms, so I can't work the console. So John's going to sit next to him and work the console. You know what? I feel like this episode... Well, no, never mind. Uh, It's important that they had Aaron on Moya to deal with the Talon stuff because, you know, Aaron's got a connection to Talon. 
but she would be more helpful here yeah she has pilot dna exactly so so then it's the sequence that you you hinted at where essentially like dargo is just chained up with a with a like with an equally chained up sebation woman who's made up to look like carol kane in princess bride where she's like i'm not a witch i'm your wife but let's just let's just breeze past all of that because it's uncomfortable and it's not the show as you said thinks it's funny it's not it's yeah it's sexual assault like no it's not okay on any level yeah so just a quick trigger warning um and the next part of this discussion is about uh sexual assault and specifically the way especially in the early 2000s sexual assault against men was treated as a joke so if you need to skip over that uh you know, skip over for the next couple of minutes. Hmm. So, and it's so unnecessary to the point. Yeah, we didn't need that part. We and could have spent some more time on Talon. We don't spend nearly enough time on Talon in this episode. Seriously, and I want to clarify, I said unnecessary to the plot, but really, if it was necessary to the plot, you could have just changed it to not be sexual assault. Or you could have not played it comedically. I feel like it was a thing in the 2000s where, like, if you were edgy, you had to throw that in, and it was... Well, not even edgy. Like, do you remember the movie 40 Days and 40 Nights? I remember that it exists, but I didn't see it. Okay, so for those of you who don't remember really bad, I think, early 2000s comedies... Uh-huh. There's a guy who decides who who he he's, he's too into sex. His life is too much about sex, so he's going to give up sex for Lent. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend gets really mad and breaks up with him, and he ends up getting into this relationship with this other girl. And since they're not having sex all the time, he gets to really know her. Blah blah blah. And his uh, his ex girlfriend gets angry at him for that. And part of it is that he can't masturbate or anything too. And he's like in the final stretches of Lent. Uh huh. And he has this friend. He's like, "Look, I'm not gonna make it. I'm if I'm alone at any point, I'm gonna masturbate. So you need to tie me to the bed." And his friend ties him, like, his friend ties him to the bed for the last, like, day or so and, like, leaves. And his ex-girlfriend comes in and has sex with him. And then the girl he's been dating gets mad because he cheated on her. I... And it, this is, this is a comedy. This movie is a comedy. Okay, never leave a tied up person alone. Yes. That's horrifying. That's... How, how is, how is... How is this both rape culture and slut shamey? I I don't. I, oh my god! I okay. That sounds terrible. When it's men, it's played for comedy. I think we're getting away from that. I hope we're getting away from that. I mean, George of the Jungle, which is a very fun movie. It's a children's movie that ends with the main villain being raped by a gorilla. That's it's a children's movie. That's Ugh. that's how it ends. Also, there's a, there's a, I think, pop culture detective, maybe, video about... There is a pop culture detective about... And, uh, about, uh, you know, men being raped being played as comedy. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find, I'll, I'll tweet out a link to that video. It's a very good video. But, like, the video, it, I, I didn't think about it, because, again, it's one of those, like, background noise of culture things, but, like... There are a lot of jokes about specifically prison rape, but 
in media for children. Okay. SpongeBob had a don't drop the soap joke. Okay, so I want to move on. Yes. But I'm just going to quickly say that it is two overlapping problematic things. One is the idea that sexual assault that happens against men is funny, and the other is the idea of punitive sexual assault in, like, a prison rape scenario. These are both problems that overlap, but are are separate. So John's trying to get the pilot to far- to- Farscape. (laughs) So John's trying to get the pilot to Starburst, and- You'll remember the whole deal with the control collar is that a Leviathan can't starburst with a control collar on, but John's idea is to rip the ship apart with starburst. So, mm. and the ship can't do it. It it hasn't charged up enough. It it can't starburst. And John's like trying to pep talk him. He's like, "Come on, man. I know you want to die. <laughs> Let's do this. This will kill you dead." <laughs> And also, John's affecting kind of this weird southern accent throughout this episode. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, he's... Well, it's about him going through a breakdown. Yeah. He's he's getting very... He's in, he's in the manic episode part of his breakdown right now. So, we go all... Uh, not death proof. Uh, we go all Planet Terror where John leaves Pilot alone for like 10 seconds and then he shoots himself. Um. No, no, he's not shooting himself. He gets shot. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, who shoots him? We never see who shoots him. I assume it was... I assume it was uh, one of the zombie peacekeepers. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it could have been Travlock, but I feel like he's not going to be able to control the entire ship by himself. Maybe he thinks he can control the whole ship by himself. He's not exactly the most stable person. Yeah. Anyway, so that pilot is dead, which is, you know, a Bad big problem. Bad bears for John. Yes. So back on Moya, Moya also can't starburst, but in her case, she can't starburst because she is not about to leave Talon behind. Aaron's going to go to Talon and bring supplies for Crace so that he can recover. And she tells Rigel that if he tries to get Moya to starburst while she's gone, she will destroy him when she gets back. She specifically makes a, you know, one of those BS sci-fi references to basically cutting off his balls. Yeah. Like, I don't, I really don't like when sci-fi does this. Like, it's not cute when you come up with, like, sci-fi versions of saying normal Earth stuff. Like, if the translator microbes can translate... Most things, they can translate the word balls. Well, they specifically don't translate curse words. So whatever she said was a curse word in Sebastian. Uh, a curse word for balls. Yes. Which is weird because you wouldn't think Sebastians would have the same hang-ups around sexuality as... Well, I don't think it's a hang-up around sexuality. Oh, then, oh, then but why, why would it be a curse, curse word? word? Yeah, okay, okay, I gotcha. This is the sort of thing you need to think about when you're doing your world building because Aaron had that giant-ass speech about how sex is... No big deal. Not a big deal with the peacekeepers, so. Yep. All right, so. Gianna's not doing super hot right now. She's still basically, like, a final girl. Or not a final girl. She's one of the girls who isn't a final girl in a horror movie. Oh, God, yeah. So, everyone's running around the ship. Gianna's running around the ship. John is trying to deal with the fact that Pilot is, you know, 
dead. Things Car- are Carlock not going is, well. Yeah. Carnog is like, hey, come out. I want to eat you. Yeah, Let me Car- eat you. I'm hungry. Yeah, Carvok is running around. You know, I just realized Carvok is probably meant to be a play on Karloff, like Boris Karloff, because he's a, uh, yeah. In fact, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that that's probably what's going on. Uh, Jewel is sitting with the gun and she's like, I'm just going to kill myself. And Chiana finds the other Dargo. Or Dargo. It's just Dargo. Yes. And it's played really, again, it's played super comedically. She's like, oh, you sure you want me to rescue you? And he's like, yes, please get me out of here. And she's like, okay, if you're sure. And And he's like making goofy orgasm noises and like crossing his eyes. And whoa, it's so wacky that this woman's having sex with him against his will. Yeah. So uh, eventually Chiana frees him. Thankfully. Like, and the whole thing, it takes way too long, and it's its not funny, and the fact that they're very clearly playing it for comedy. Like, Chiana, you were just running for your life freaked out from zombies. You want to stop and be like, her, 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 you sure you want me to free you? Her, 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 oh, look, you want me to leave some money on her nightstand? Her, her. Like, Ugh. What? What? Well, they finally get free, and Dargo asks where John is, and Chiana says he was in Pilot's Den. So Dargo says, I'm gonna go to Pilot's Den, you go back to the transport pod. And she's like, we need to stop splitting up! And he's like, no, you need to go get the transport pod ready to go, because we are gonna need to hightail it out of here right now. So she does that. And then we see John and... uh. Karlov come face to face, and, uh, yeah, this is, uh, John does this weird thing where he's like, yeah, we're gonna starburst, because I know how to do it, and once we starburst, everyone's gonna die, and he is ranting in the midst of a manic episode. Yeah, John is very, very much losing it in this scene, which, fair. You'd think they'd spend, like, a couple of weeks... Not, I mean, I guess they could have, who knows how much time is passing, but you'd think that after the whole accidental genocide thing, they would just not do stuff for a while. Yeah, no. Anyway, Jewel was going to shoot herself with the pulse rifle because she would rather that than being taken by zombies, which fair enough. Mm. And she fires, but she doesn't really know how to fire it. So she just ends up shooting it randomly and it ricochets around the maintenance pod for a minute before Chiana shows up and is like, okay, come on, we're getting out of here. John effectuates the starburst. Uh, Karloff tries to... Karvok. Karvok tries to suck out his brain, but John... uh, John sticks the... uh, John kind of moves so that he just gets stuck in the floor of uh, the Leviathan, and then he gets torn apart by zombies. Yep. So the zombies attack their, their creator, as they do, and... He fires off one last prisoner bubble at John. Why? I, I actually think it was unintentional. Uh. I think it was happening, like, as he was trying to pull his gauntlet out. And John runs into Dargo. The two of them run back to the transport pod and hop on board. And just as they get on board, John... John clone, or other John. Yeah, John twin. And Dargo and Jewel just look at him and... They're like, we do not have time to deal with this right now. Let's just all get on the ship and get out of here and we will figure it out then. Because the 
Leviathan is ripping itself apart. Two Johns for the price of one. Yep. And the transport pod, having been repaired by Chiana, lets them escape. Oh no, are they going to escape? It looks really rough here. No, they escape. It's actually weird how once we get to the point where um, they're all on the transport pod, all of the... All of the tension of the moment is gone. It's like, we don't really need to see the escape at this point. We know they made it. It's fine. In fact, we don't even need to see how they find Moya. They're just back on Moya now. So, uh, yeah. Now they're back on Moya. Uh, Chiana is very messed up. She keeps insisting that uh, the other Chiana was not the real Chiana. She did not let herself die. And Dargo's like, okay, but then how do you explain Crichton? Because those are both obviously Crichton, and they're both, like, equal Crichtons. And she's like, I did not let myself die. And he points out, like, I, like, the other Dargo died. We're, like, and how do you know that I'm not the copy? And she's like, I don't know. I know. You just know. Remember how I knew that my brother was dead? And he's like, you had a chip implanted. And she's like, no, you know. Meanwhile, and also he wasn't dead. Yes. So then we see the two Johns playing rock, paper, scissors and tying every single time. You can tell because they're not even looking at each other anymore. They've been throwing rock, paper and scissors hundreds of times at this point. And Aaron comes in concerned for John and asks Rigel, who's watching this whole thing, how's he doing? And Rigel says, still tied. Oh, credits. This is... Okay, so this is an okay episode of Farscape until the end. I really like the whole double John thing. I really like that this is going to be... I'm glad that you told me that this is going to be a running thing. Yeah. Because if it wasn't a running thing, then eh. But I do like that this is kind of a consequences episode. Yeah. Well, if you like people having consequences to their trauma... I've got good news for you for the rest of Farscape. <laughs> Which is not to say that it's never going to be light again. It's just that it takes things seriously. And I appreciate that. It it has an emotional heft to it. Mm. Uh, the next episode that we have coming up is called Thanks for Sharing. And the Amazon Prime description is, To buy medicine to heal a damaged talon, the crew must negotiate a dangerous political intrigue before a peacekeeper retrieval squad arrives. Hmm. It's a good episode, and it's a lot lighter than this one. So, yeah, good news! We've got a lighter episode coming up. Alright, I believe that will take us to our segments. I think it will. Our first segment is Strange Alien Creatures. What... Worked for you as far as puppets or makeup or any of that? I actually have something. I, I'm sensing you don't, but I actually have something. Okay, this is kind of an off thing. Mm-hmm. Because the zombie makeup was fine. I have no yeah. strong thoughts on the zombie makeup. It, and I mean, we've been calling them zombies, but they weren't actually literally they zombies. They were degraded, I guess not clones, but doubled. But I like sort of the zombie makeup of the other Leviathan. Because I'm 100% sure that they just used Moya's, you know, the sets they had for Moya, but creepied it up. That was mine too. I was impressed by how they took what was obviously the same set and made it so eerie and horror movie-esque. Which is a feat because this is a place that we have come to think of as these people's homes and they made it 
uncanny. I was actually going the opposite direction there. It was like, because Moria's already pretty creepy, but the fact that they're like, okay, let's take this place that's already pretty creepy and make it that much creepier. Yeah, I, I, I have more affection for Moria than you do, I guess, but yes, I, I liked... It seems cozier to me. I mean, you can have affection for something and not want to crawl around in its bowels. It's womb-like. It's comforting. And I know I've brought this up before, but, like, uncanny literally means the familiar made unfamiliar. And it's uh, it's Freudian in the way it refers to uh, the way certain... The way certain a certain type of man becomes afraid of women after mm. uh, after being born and uh that's why haunted houses are you know haunted houses and and, and haunted haunted uteruses it's it's all connected okay there there are lots of people i love whose uteruses i also wouldn't want to be you know hanging out in i'm i'm like i'm like grossly simplifying uh a, a really great essay called the uncanny by freud mm. Freud was a... Well, he wasn't good for psychiatry, but he was good for fiction writing. Yeah, exactly. Terrible for psych, great for literary analysis. And uh, The Uncanny is one of his essays that I go back to again and again, but I am grossly, uh, I'm grossly simplifying it right now. Emphasis on the gross. <laughs> but if, if, if you're like, wait, that sounds interesting, but it also sounds like you're totally mangling what you're trying to say, just uh, just look for Freud's essay on the uncanny. Well, it's, it's the Discworld thing where Magritte tells off that guy for uh, for eating red meat. And he's like, if you, and she's like, if you could see the inside of your colon, you'd be horrified. And he's like, I definitely would be. <laughs> oh, anyway, our second segment. <laughs> We're not going to talk about wombs, hopefully. A distant part of the universe, is that it? Yeah, well, our second segment is what world building worked for you. This is the opposite of that? How did he have the duplication gun? Did they let him Doesn't matter, a wizard did it! Like, honestly, I, I really like the concept of this episode. I really like, because it's kind of an inversion of the relationship we see the crew having with Moya. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the kind of play off of this is a different direction that Moya's that a prisoner escape from a leviathan could have gone in oh i do like that well i really like that if the ship is alive what does that mean when things go bad mm. and i that's that's something worth exploring as this episode does but you know what i also like that they don't try to explain the twinning device to us it's just like don't worry about it. You don't need, you don't, we don't need episodes and episodes of backstory on how he created the twinning device. It just does it. You don't need to do a whole completely unnecessary movie about why the Death Star is going to explode from one blast in the right area. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Our final segment is just looking for a way home, which is what emotionally resonated with you. Okay. Again, this is going to sound weird, but... Honestly, I felt really bad for Jewel this episode. Again, not with... I still don't like her. It didn't make me like her anymore. But that bit where she's talking, you know, about how her parents told her she could do anything. And it made me feel really bad for Jewel because it just kind of threw into sharp relief how completely unprepared she is for all of this. 
mm-hmm. and how they should just find a planet where nothing super dramatic is going on and drop her off there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything for, did anything emotionally connect with you? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's that end when we just see John tired, Doing weary, that. obviously messed up. Doing rock, paper, scissors with himself into infinity. They should have done the... They should have just thrown blankets over them. Like birds? Like birds. I mean, no offense to John, but he's been through a lot. I feel like he wouldn't really fight it if you just put them both to bed. Well, that that about wraps it up. Yeah. (laughs) Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories.